What gift could bring us hope in what seems to be hopeless times? What could we receive that would fill the eternal longing in our hearts? What unmerited offering could be given to us that could wipe away our sin and bring salvation to our weary souls? Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is that perfect gift given to us. He brings life to the lifeless. He shines light in the darkest places, and we see the glory of God through him who came full of grace and truth. Out of God's fullness, Jesus came to bring a better gift. All right, Trinity Church, how are you doing this morning? Good, that's impressive. More than three of us at once. Way to go. When I welcome you online, online, my name is Todd Arnett, lead pastor. Can we thank the worship team for a great job in leading us this morning? And they will be back up uh, to help close our service. And a reminder, if you have joined us just uh, lately on the lawn or online, uh, then we have communion. Later on today, we'll be receiving that. We have elements at a bunch of different places here on campus. And if you're watching online, if you want to make sure that you have those available and ready at the end of the message, that's when we'll uh, participate together. So we're excited to be with you on this Christmas before Easter. No, it's okay. I just want to see if you're with me. The Sunday before Christmas, right? Are we excited to be here? This is such a great day, and we're excited to be able to celebrate Jesus's birth. More things keep happening on our campus. My friends Steve and Brian Lentz built me a stage because I wasn't tall enough, so they wanted to get me up a little bit more. You'll notice when you're here on Christmas Eve, we have brand new lights going between the kids' building and the worship center to kind of help us navigate through there a little bit. Some great just kind of things on our campus. My good friend Camille Denke's done a great job with some of our, you'll notice as you walked up today, we have gift-wrapped cones that are kind of outside the areas of our campus, as well as a tree right over here if you didn't get to see it today. So just more things are happening on the campus to prepare for our Christmas Eve services, and we're grateful, uh, like uh, Steve talked about, how we'll be planning those for this Thursday at 1, 3, and 5. Please join us. And, and by the way, if you're not able to join us for a host of reasons, want to encourage you online to be able to uh, watch online. That'll be available on our website at 1 o'clock, uh, beginning at 1 o'clock on Christmas Eve, and it'll just be available through the rest of the day. So if you're not able to be here with us, you're welcome to join us and watch online as well. We'll have a presentation uh, for you. Well, a couple things um, along with that. Steve mentioned Advent Conspiracy, but in the midst of all the cheering, one of the things he forgot to mention, we are completely funded. 50,000 plus dollars to that. So I want to thank you for your generosity. Every one of those projects that you heard about over the last few weeks, I think the last five weeks we've been explaining them a couple at a time, every one of those is going to be fully funded because of your generosity. So thank you for making that a big deal and important. We love the idea that at Christmas time, this is like year 10 doing this, that we receive a special offering just so we can give it away. And that's really exciting. So thank you again for sharing in that way. We're continuing in our series called Fullness. If you have a Bible, you might want to open it to John chapter 1. That's kind of where we've been walking through a couple verses at a time. If you have our app, that's especially helpful 
to be able to pull up notes for today. And if you go to that and go to resources, and then I think it's message notes, you'll see that available there and you can pull those up. We have been doing the ultimate crazy in this month of December. No three points and no now what statement. We didn't even know you could preach the Bible that way, but we're trying it, okay? We are definitely trying it. And so it's just been fun to mix it up a little bit. But in this series, what we've been talking about is in a very challenging, difficult year that has affected all of us in all shapes and sizes and all kinds of ways, we thought it best to approach this Christmas story in the most unique way of all the four Gospels. And we've talked about that in this idea of the emptiness and the sense of lacking that so many of us feel for so many reasons. If we evaluate them, some are at the deep level of suffering and others are inconvenience. But no matter where it's at for you, there is this sense of emptiness that I know you have experienced leading up to this Christmas season. So we thought that what we would look at is, and we'll see this in our passage today, that out of Jesus's fullness, our prayer is that you would be filled anew. And we'll see that today from scripture and all that God did in sending his one-of-a-kind son. This is a gift that's in place of even another gift. And so that our passage goes there today as well. So let me give you a quick review if you're the first time with us today in this series. We talked about in week one that John likens Jesus to the word. And the word was with God. The word was God. The word was there before all created things were created and speaking them into creation actually himself. And that kind of takeaway thought we had that week was when we realize who the giver is, it makes the gift all the more significant. Last week, we looked at Jesus is not only, and we saw that for week one, full of life. We also saw he's full of light. He is the light, the source of all light. But yet somehow in the midst of shining that light into the darkness, not everyone responded to it. Even those that he created, he came to his own, his own did not receive him. And we walked away with this thought last week that when we have diminished light, we need more faith. We need more faith when we can see less. Today, we'll see that though many did not respond to the light, some have. Some of you sitting here today, some of you watching online, you have. And as a result, you have been given this incredible right beyond even a privilege or the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. And as a result, we see that Jesus, in order to accomplish this, he came in into our world, moved in among us. And as a result, this is God's gift that even replaces a gift before it. And we'll see what that's all about, that this Jesus is full of glory. So let's look. We're in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. So we pick it up today, right after these, what we kind of saw last week, this tragic irony that the creator comes into his created, be his order to express the love of God, the, the hope of there being a savior, and yet many rejected him. 
But we saw today that there were some, yet, yet there were some who believed on his name, who responded with faith and received him. The Greek word that we translate in the English, the word receive, is actually, it's better, it's understood as to lay hold by aggressively, actively accepting what is available or offered. Listen to that again, to lay hold by aggressively, actively accepting what is offered. It makes me think of when I have seen, I have never experienced this in my life. You can tell I don't miss many meals, but you can imagine when people who are hungry are brought uh, provisions that they have been longing for, hungry for, anticipating, and those are made available. Imagine that response of grabbing and taking hold with great joy. That's what this word receive means. And to those who eagerly accepted what was offered to them, likewise, they believed on his name. That Greek word is interesting because it's the other word, a similar word, that we derive our English word faith. We translate it in our Bibles as faith. So maybe another way to say it, literally, to those who faithed, to those who faithed in his name. It means to be persuaded or to be confident in another. So when you look at these, and what, like we've said, and this is powerful, these first few verses of John 1 lay out massive themes that are going to keep coming up again and again throughout the rest of John's gospel. It's almost as though he says, let me create this foundation in the first few verses. And so as a result, you'll have this kind of uh, connection from the rest of the way through the book that, where he mentions things out of the gates. So these words receiving and believing are going to be big themes throughout the rest of the gospel of John. And realize that these concepts are never demonstrated merely as that of being conceptual or intellectual pursuits. These words are never used that way. Genuine receiving and believing evidences itself in one's lifestyle, one's decisions, and one's behaviors. I've used this illustration before, but think of it this way. John, the gospel writer, John could not have fathomed this idea of belief in maybe a concept like this, maybe there's an oncologist, a doctor who works with cancer patients, maybe specifically that of lung cancer. And yet dealing with lung cancer patients all week long goes out on break and lights up a cigarette. John, the gospel writer, would look at that incongruence and say, wait a second, you're seeing the evidence of a problem and dealing with patients, encouraging them not to smoke, but yet that's what you do during a break. Those things don't make sense. The incongruence, he could conceptually know, an oncologist said, this is bad for your lungs. But then in his behavior acts so differently, John couldn't begin to say he believes that's truly a problem or believes that this is an issue related to lung cancer because of the way he acts. So this idea, this has to affect, it's not a mental pursuit, an intellectual pursuit to say we believe something. Remember we said that word believe is like faith. It's a verbal form to faith something. Note the tense of these verbs in the passage we just read, received, is an aorist active verb, meaning it's this past uh, action that's been accomplished that has an ongoing uh, result. And yet the word believe is actually a participle, it's a present participle, so better translated as believing, which means that there's an ongoing persuasion, an ongoing daily faithing in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And note that those who believe and receive are considered something profoundly more intimate, profoundly more meaningful than simply being that of the world. That, that phrase, that concept we looked at last week, he delegated them the authority. 
He delegated empowerment to become, to be known as, to be considered his very own children. Look at the descriptors of how John indicates how these children came to be, not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God. Uniquely brought into existence, given birth because of the powerful work of God. It's another huge theme that we're going to see throughout the gospel of John, that of spiritual rebirth. That comes up huge. It's kind of the essence of most of chapter three, when Jesus is talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus and explaining what being born again, spiritual birth really looks like. You know, we use that phrase in our Christian subculture a lot. Have you been born again? And, to, and, and, and I want to encourage that. That makes sense. It's, it comes right out of Jesus's words. It is hard, though, for people that you might rub shoulders with in your relational world to even begin to understand what that means. And that's okay because that's part of our pursuit is being able to talk and share and influence and love and help people understand that it really is to be a part of the family of God. We've said it before, the Bible teaches clearly that we're spiritually born dead on arrival. So therefore that part needs to be made new, needs to come alive, needs to be reborn. It was hard for Nicodemus to understand. It's hard for the people in your world to understand, but it's what Jesus said is a necessary process for us to become, for us to be called, for us to have the authority to be known as the children of God. It's interesting that we'll talk a lot about the idea of being adopted into God's family, and that's a huge theme throughout scripture, especially Paul's writings. But in it, this is interesting. This is even one more piece in addition to that, or maybe separate from that, is not just being included into the family of God, but being made new, being spiritually reborn, and then and, and in that whole process of being adopted. And how does that happen? By what John just said, by believing and receiving Jesus. Look how Paul communicates this to the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. When I was candidating here at Trinity Church four and a half years ago, um, that was actually the very first message that I brought to Trinity was a similar idea and passage from Galatians 3 and 4. But it's this idea of being brought into, being adopted into the family of God, no longer slaves, no longer those who live in fear, but instead now family. And the way that we're able to do that is not only made into now this new family, but we actually have access to the creator of the universe to call him Papa. That should be a little bit mind-bending for you, that God welcomes us with that degree of intimacy, welcomes us with that degree of connection and acceptance, as is, not through religious pursuits, not through jumping through hoops, but simply responding in belief and receiving his one-of-a-kind son, Jesus. And that is such a powerful thing. We'll see more about that in just a minute. Back to our text, chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's probably the most 
well-known, I think one of our well-known Christmas verses, right? It's just so good and so clear. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I love the way the first part of that verse is paraphrased in the, the paraphrase called the message. It reads this way, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. He pitched his tent. He took up residence along with us. John goes back to that title of the word, which he began, we looked at two weeks ago, that word that was with God, that word that was creating all that was, the word that was God. And we realize that the creator has become like the created. When you think about the the power of Christmas, meaning when you think about just being overwhelmed with the goodness of God, this is what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the creator of the universe coming to a point, putting himself in a position to become like the created. That condescension, that humility, that's what we celebrate in great ways. And I want to share with you today why maybe in 2020, that should be probably one of the most profound things that just screams off the page to you about the reality of what Jesus did in your place. The created beings as us, that that who were always made in flesh, this might seem somewhat reasonable that Jesus would become one of us. But when we consider the gospel and how the word was with God and the word was God, Jesus, not just a better version of us, Jesus being God himself, we realize this amazing condescension that he makes. Listen to this from uh, Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature with God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2 says, when we look at the humility of Jesus, our attitude should be like that towards every other person because Jesus modeled that so incredibly well for us. But besides being impressed by that humility, I would even call it, remember the word humility and humiliation are very sister-like words. So out of even Jesus's humiliation to become one of us, See this unique perspective now that he has and his experiences and and the reality of putting on flesh, of being a human being. Consider what it was really like now for him to be in our shoes. Hebrews chapter two, verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. By the way, that's that key word today. We're gonna see it again. Jesus is full of glory. In the process of being able to help us be able to share and experience the glory of God, It was fitting that God for whom, for, I'm sorry, for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them, not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. For this reason, he had to be made like them. Verse 17, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
I want you to be able to see and appreciate this in a new way. Most of us sitting here on the lawn, most of us watching online have been through the hardest 10 months of your life. 2020 has probably compared to as significant or more significant than any year of challenge you've ever lived. And in saying that, what has probably happened throughout the course of time, whether it was challenges with your job or your business, whether it was challenges in your relationships, maybe your marriage or your parenting, whether it was challenges related to your own health, challenges related to your own psyche, your own soul, chances are throughout this year, you have evidenced at least grumbling, if not outright, God, why aren't you paying attention? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to us? Why aren't you doing something about this? And I want you to know if there was ever a year to hold those things against God, to come in frustration to him, which by the way, according to the Psalms, he invites us to. But what I hope this passage, what I hope this idea of the condescension of Jesus will help you process, help me process in my mind is that we don't talk to a God who doesn't understand. We are not talking to a God in an ivory tower somewhere out there in the heavens who has no basis for understanding how hard it is to be one of us. We don't appeal in our prayers to a God who has no concept of what it is to actually be on this planet and put one foot in front of the next. We have a savior who became like us to rescue us. That is the amazingly good news of Christmas. Look in your notes. The one thing I have for you to fill in today is simply this. Jesus knows what it's like to walk in your shoes because he has. Because he has. You do not have a savior who doesn't get it, who simply lives above the fray and someone who's not well aware and I want to remind you the great news of Christmas transitions into the great news of Easter. That's probably why my flub earlier today. Because Easter is where this God who became one of us offers himself for us on a cross. The atoning sacrifice for sins, allowing us to be called the sons and daughters of God. We receive and we believe not just in a God who took on flesh, but in a God who put himself as our atoning sacrifice. Yea, God. Yea, God. John goes on to state that we have seen the son's glory. By we, he's referring to himself, to other firsthand witnesses, people who had walked with Jesus, people who had talked with Jesus, people who had seen him do miracles. And in the risen Jesus, people who put their hands in the nail prints of his hand. We, we're credible witnesses of what we have seen. He reminds his readers that this isn't coming secondhand. It's not things he heard about Jesus, he saw, he witnessed. And I wanna help you, I, I, I said before, I love taking words out of what I call Bible land, out of Bible land and bringing them down here so we can talk. We've sung about it today, we're gonna sing about it more, we're seeing in our passage this word glory. 
Glory to me is one of the most difficult words to define in our English vernacular today because we use it out in the culture in some ways that don't really connect at all with scripture. But even when we come to it in the Bible, again, we're, we're almost embarrassed. Like I've been a Christian for X amount of decades. I should understand what this word means. I don't quite, and I don't know how I can ask. So let me, let me ask that question for you. What does the word glory mean? Besides the fact that we just say it a lot. This Greek word is doxa. And it corresponds to the Old Testament word kabo or kavo. Both terms talk about God's infinite intrinsic worth, his weight, his substance. Here's a good working definition. I don't expect you all to memorize it's long, but I think it, it connects enough of the dots. Because here's the problem with the word glory. It's like a multifaceted diamond. You look at one side of it and you're getting an image and that's correct. But if you shift your perspective again, there's another piece there. And that's what's going on with the word glory. Glory is the manifested presence of God, often displayed in dazzling magnificence. It is his character, his attributes expressed. It is his weight, his inestimable worth revealed in his creation. Walter Kaiser puts it this way, the glory of God refers first and foremost to the sheer weight of the reality of his presence. So think of it this way. That's what it means. The glory of God means when you take in his substance, when you are witness to his worth and his intrinsic value. And then the word glorify, making that a verb, means that you shine the light on that. You point people in that direction. You want his worth to be what people notice and nothing else. To glorify God means to simply put the spotlight rightfully where it belongs. Glory was something that was ascribed to God when the angels first announced Jesus' arrival. Luke chapter 2, verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host with the angel praising, or appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory, ascribing value and worth, weight, substance, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And here's the wild thing. We already read this a minute ago. It's wild that God would not only have this essence, this worth, this magnitude, but he wants to share that with us. He invites us in incredible intimacy to know him, but in that, even being called his sons and daughters, he wants to share that glory with us. We read it earlier in the Hebrews 2 passage in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Look at it again at the end of the Romans 8 passage I was reading. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The word glory is used 17 times in the book of John. That's more than all three other gospels combined. So this is another huge theme that John is introducing in just the first few verses of this book. And he says specifically, the kind of glory that Jesus exuded was the glory as of an only begotten, meaning the expression and the character of God demonstrated in a one-of-a-kind kind of way. That's the kind of glory that Jesus dispelled and demonstrated to us, represented to us. Next, John introduces that he will use this main image or explanation of a relationship between God uh, incarnate, Jesus, and God transcendent, 
the first member of the Trinity. So talking about this idea of the father-son relationship, this is going to be huge again all the way through the Gospel of John. Jesus always calling upon his father. And that human relationship gives us an idea, at least in part, of what he's talking about. But John then communicates how Jesus came, how his glory was revealed and how he came from the Father. He came full of grace and truth. Commentators say that this is probably one of the best ways to understand the essence of Jesus. And it really demonstrates his deity in a powerful way because he lived his life holding the hands of both of these realities always perfectly at the same time. Grace being that idea of unmerited favor, a gift is synonymous with the word gift. So Jesus lived a gracious life, but never to the exclusion of reality, of truth. Jesus came full of both grace and truth. On our best day, in the various circumstances and experience that we go through, we might hold on to one relatively well for a moment. But we will at times err to the side of not living in reality in order to be gracious. Or other times we will live in reality, but we will forget to be gracious. And when we simply live out of the flesh, we don't pay attention to either of those. We live a life that's full of harshness and a life that's full of fabrication. Jesus lived, Jesus walked full of grace and truth. And I got to tell you, if I was trying to, in my mind, create or develop or imagine a savior, imagine a deity who would live in such a way to respond to the things that I go through, who could be approachable and yet honest at the same time, there is not a picture in my mind I could create of a better idea than a savior who is full of grace and truth. And that's the beauty. When we talk about this incredible story of the gospel, it is indeed the best story you've ever heard. It's the best news that's ever rolled out. This is the kind of way that God shows himself to us, the nature, the essence of who God is. He is full of grace. He is full of truth. I want you to join us at our Christmas Eve services, whether again in person or online, and we'll finish connecting that last dot. That's our last kind of message in this series is that Jesus is indeed full of grace and truth. Finally, back to verse 15, John testified, John the baptizer testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one who I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. John, now don't get the two Johns mixed up, John the gospel writer and John the baptizer. He goes back into this parenthetical thought that we looked at a week ago that John talked about, I, I come as a witness. John was sent as a witness to be able to say, this is Messiah. He fulfilled these Old Testament prophecies in Isaiah and Malachi to announce to the people, to announce to Israel, salvation has come. And John inserts that idea back in there to say, that's the thing he was talking about. He who comes after me surpasses me because he was before me, because Jesus was the word who was with God and who was God. Then note these next words in verse 16, out of his fullness. That's where we derive this series title. 
was just looking over this passage and reading it and asking God, what's a good glue? What's a, a way to communicate what John 1, 1 through 18 is communicating? And that's the word that really stuck out, out of his fullness. I hope it's encouraging for you to know. I hope it's a powerful thing to think about that in the midst of your emptiness, an emptiness that you have felt throughout this year, maybe the emptiness you brought with you today, that in your emptiness, you can be filled anew by the fullness of Jesus that is not just full and up into the brim, but is spilling over, is spilling over and we have all received because he is full. 2020 did not catch God by surprise. And maybe, just maybe, in your life or in our lives, maybe it be the church, maybe it be a community of people who are desperately in need of a savior. Either way, if 2020 has done anything, it's bubbled to the top that we are not independent. We are not able to make our lives work on our own. And we are people in need, people who are empty. If that describes you today, and maybe you are, as we read earlier today, you are a child of God because you have believed, you have received, and you keep on faithing. But you're in a, just a rough place today. We didn't say it just to say it. We have a black table right over here after the service. We have people who'd love to pray for you. Love to help take that burden off your shoulders by bringing it to the Father. For those of you watching online, there's a prayer code. You can click on that as well and be able to get that prayer request submitted so we can pray for you this week. Out of his fullness, we have all received a grace on top of grace, grace in place of another. Grace is synonymous with the word gift, so you could reread that. We've all received a gift in place of a gift already given. And that's, you know, one time, sometimes people can be pretty harsh at Christmas about giving gifts, you know, that's so defeating the purpose or so gets our eyes off of Jesus. And I can see that. Come to someone's birthday party and you give a gift to everybody but him, right? But I also want to say that when we give gifts to each other, we are modeling the nature of God at Christmas time because that's what he did. Gave us the best gift ever. And in this passage, what this is talking about is that gift, understanding it for what it is. At Christmas time, in just a few days, if you give gifts to people who are expecting them, by definition, that's no longer a gift, that's an obligation. <laughs> My hope is that you get to give gifts and that gifts get to be received. I didn't do anything to earn this. And by nature, when we understand that God had given a gift already, we'll talk about that more at Christmas Eve but that gift has been replaced by even a better gift. It was a few weeks ago that Doug Richards, one of our elders, Doug's watching online today, uh, we asked you to pray for him because he was gonna go through a cochlear implant surgery. I've intera interacted with Doug a few times since the surgery. He is recovering remarkably well, and we are so grateful for that. But I was thinking about Doug in that illustration, and in my mind I was thinking, Doug experienced really profound hearing loss that was very accelerated. And at first, one gift that Doug received were hearing aids. 
I, if you were ever in a conversation with Doug, and you know, sometimes you get a little bit off put when somebody's in their, on their phone while you're talking to them, you're like, really, am I not that important? Doug was always fluctuating his hearing aids off of his phone. So if you ever felt like Doug was being rude, all he was actually doing was trying to hear you better. But his profound hearing loss kept getting worse where his hearing aids didn't work anymore. So one gift became obsolete because it wasn't meeting the need. Then he got a new gift and it was a cochlear implant surgery that is giving him the ability to hear things he hasn't heard for years. One gift in place of another. And the Bible says that's what Jesus came to bring us. He was one gift that came to replace a previous gift. And at Christmas Eve, we'll talk more about what those two gifts are. So today, just to wrap up this last thought, look at these three kind of concepts that we've talked about throughout this series. When we realize who the giver is, it makes the gift all the more significant. When we have diminished light, we need more faith. And finally, for today, Jesus knows what it's like to walk in your shoes because he has. Let me pray. Father, we come before you today as a people who are probably more aware of our emptiness and our neediness and our dependence than maybe we have in our whole lifetime. And I remember starting back as early as March thinking of the next month in Easter, the Easter message that we gave was reminding us of that great C.S. Lewis quote, that God, you whisper to us in our pleasure, but you shout in our pain. God, you're after something. You are after something in our lives. It takes all kinds of shapes. But rather than grumble, rather than be frustrated, rather than wanting different, God, for each one of us in our own way, in this Christmas season, would we admit and recognize our neediness, our emptiness, but in coming to you, look to you to fill us. Out of your fullness, would we be filled anew? And Father, we are so grateful that you are the kind of God who can do that. You can deliver on that kind of request versus the non-gods that we put our hope and faith in before. Maybe you're here today and you're on the lawn, you're online and you realize as you process, you're aware of that neediness, but you've actually never, as the passage said so clearly today, you've never received, you've never believed and put your faith and confidence in who Jesus is. So I wanna to say to you today in a fresh way, have you A, admitted that you're a sinner who needs a savior? It's not about just what's going on in our culture, in our community, in our country. It's about what's going on in your life. That you have a real neediness because there's a broken relationship with God that's been there all your life. B, do you believe? Like we said today, not giving mental assent, but faithing, putting your weight, your confidence in the fact that Jesus is the only savior available. This Jesus we talked about today who was with God and who was God. See, will you choose? Will you choose today to put your weight, your confidence, your hope, your faith in him? Not in what you can do and not in your morality and not in your religion, but simply in the savior alone. You can make that decision right here, right now, and not another moment has to pass. 
And I'd encourage you, don't let this moment go by before you receive the greatest gift ever. Father, this week, as we head into this Christmas week, would you continue to fill us anew? Would you continue not only to fill us anew, but would that filling, God, run over, spill over into the lives of people we do life with? Would they see a tangible Jesus in us? And God, would they be encouraged? Would they be renewed? Would they even see him as well? Father, help us celebrate well this week. We love you and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.